listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. First of all, I just want to say, wow, that wasn't that communion video by Marion about 9-11 and the sacrifices that have been made and then just thinking and reflecting on the sacrifice. Was that not powerful for us? It is good on a day like this, on 9-11, to reflect on these things and to be grateful to the Lord for the way he sustains us and, and for the honor of sacrifice. So just so powerful. And I'm not just saying that because he's my father-in-law, because he is. Uh, I would have said that no matter who shared that and just so powerful for us to think about today. But you know, when we, when we began this series, Do What Jesus Did, about three weeks ago, one of the things I mentioned was just that this is a series, because we're talking about making disciples, we're talking about what this looks like, where every week it builds on itself. Not every series is like that, but this one is. And it just, it builds on itself where if you miss something from week to week, I would just say there's a good chance you're going to miss some clarity, maybe lack some understanding maybe miss some of the vision and the passion of what we're talking about and where we're going with this. And I just really want to encourage you that if you miss, whether it's online watching or you're in the room and you're, you miss on a particular week, maybe you were at the parent meeting even a couple of weeks ago, I really want to encourage you to go to our YouTube page. Just go to our YouTube, uh, just search Northside Christian and go to our YouTube page and, and just watch those messages that perhaps you've missed. Because this is one of those life-changing series that we're going through, where we look at, at what Jesus did. And the reason this is so important, you know, last week, Corey just preached this in- incredible message for us, and, and he preached about the end goal, that, that God has promised that what we're going to see one day is people of every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around his throne. That is the end goal. And one of the key points that Corey made throughout his sermon is that, that God has designed it where we are in partnership with God to make that a reality. We are in partnership with God to make that a reality. That's how he set it up. It's how he designed it. it it's what it, it's going to look like. It's the way it is. Because in the Great Commission, he said that he wanted us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded us. Why? So that the end goal is realized. And one of the more convicting statements that Corey made in his message, that I, I want us to reflect on, remember right now, because I'm going to build off that, is this one. If we are not somehow involved, if we are not involved somehow in the process of making disciples, we are not disciples. I want us to say that together. It's on the screen here. Just, just read this with me because I want it to sink in as the launching point for what we're going to talk about today. So read it with me. If we are not involved somehow in the process of making disciples, we are not disciples. If disciples do what Jesus did, if disciples are followers of Jesus, if disciples do what Jesus told them to do, then we will make disciples. 
So if we are not involved in the process of making disciples, then we are not disciples of Jesus because disciples of Jesus are somehow involved in the process of making disciples. Does it make sense? This is what God has designed for us. It's what he's called us to. And and when you feel the weight of that, when you feel the weight of what God has called us to, the first thing that's going to start happening right now is you're going to be like, well, how do we make disciples? How do we do this? How do we do that if that's what I am to do? And the answer is do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. Look at his actions. Look at his pathways. Look at his strategies. Look at his methods and just follow that. We seem to somehow know what he taught, but often we don't pay attention to his methods, his pathways, the ways in which he did it. And those ways matter. So when you look at the way Jesus made disciples and you look at how disciples made disciples and you look at how the early church made disciples and you look at how the apostle Paul made disciples, you see some similarities in their methods, their pathways, their strategies to do it, which means we don't just cling to the promises of God's word. We cling to the patterns of God's word. It would probably help us to start looking at how they did it and to follow those methods, to follow those pathways. Bruce Carlton, he said it this way. He goes, you guys believe, he said, you guys believe that the word of God is inerrant, but have you ever thought that the ways that Jesus did things are inspirational and could be imitated as well? Jesus gave us a model to follow. And there's no better way to learn than to follow a model that's laid out for you. I'll give you an example of this. If right now you needed some instructions, you were looking for some instructions on how to fix your dryer, maybe you need to put in a new heating element, or you wanted some instructions on how to fix something on your vehicle, which I'm probably going to have to do because my truck wouldn't start today. And I just got a new battery this week. They said it was the battery. I think it probably was the battery, but also maybe alternator. If I were to try to figure out what I need to do for an alternator, if you were going to change a component in the dash of your vehicle, or maybe you just need to learn how to tie a knot, maybe a fishing knot or something like that. Would you rather Google an owner's manual so you can just read the manual so you know what to do? Or would you rather go to YouTube and just watch someone do what you know you need to do so you can watch their method and their pathway and how they did it so you can do it? How many would you prefer YouTube? Just raise your hand right now if that's your preferred method. Yeah, I would say most all of you in this room. There are some weird people out there <laughs> that would go to an owner's manual. And, and some of them are in your church, on your staff, even you know, in your neighborhood. And, and when Kevin Punch does that, when Kevin Punch, our youth minister, pulls up an owner's manual, which I've seen him do, and just start reading, I just keep my distance. I mean, there, he just needs more therapy than, than the, the rest of us. That's all it means. We all need it. He just needs it a little bit more. <laughs> but I've also watched him YouTube it. And he will YouTube it and he will watch how to do something and he will do it. In fact, if I were guessing, he'd probably even prefer that. Why? Because when you watch, when you see it modeled for you, that's the most efficient way of learning. It's the most effective way of learning. It's even usually a faster way of learning. You become more competent by seeing the methods and the patterns of those who go before you who know how to do it. And you just do what they did. And I want to... Today, to just take a look at Mark chapter 1. If you have a Bible or device, I want us to open up to Mark chapter 1. And I want us just to begin to look at some of the methods, some of the strategies, some of the pathways of Jesus. And we're just going to scratch the surface today because that's kind of the way Mark does it in his gospel. It's just a quick boop, 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 uh, going through the patterns of Jesus. But I want us to look at some things that I think we should pay attention to today. 
I want to start in Mark chapter 1, 9 through 15 to kind of see what Jesus did. The text tells us here at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. He's baptized. Jesus is baptized. He's immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted. Matthew's gospel will add to this information that he's fasting there. He's fasting and praying as he's tempted by Satan, doing battle against him with the word of God, because making disciples is spiritual warfare. And as we look at Jesus there, fasting, praying, dependent on the word of God, you are looking at one of the methods of Jesus, which is this, that, that even before he starts his ministry, even before he calls disciples, he's praying, fasting, depending on the father. You see, praying, fasting, And abiding with the Father are critical to disciple-making. Fasting, praying, abiding with the Father, it is critical to disciple-making. Disciple-making is spiritual warfare, and Jesus' method was to do this. That was his strategy. Prayer preceded everything. It ought to be a pattern that we follow. And the text goes on in verses 14 through 15, and it says, After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so we see Jesus going through Galilee, going into the synagogues, going from one place to another, going to the lost and the broken people, and he's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's preaching good news, and he's telling them to repent and to believe. So he's sharing the good news with them. And then in verse 16, we read this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he got a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Dan Spader, in his book, Four Chair Discipling, said that Jesus' command to follow me and I will make you fishers of men, you will fish for people. He said it's probably one of the most misunderstood and least lived out teachings of Jesus. And this is what's tragic. It's probably the least lived out teaching of Jesus to follow him and become a fisher of men, to be a disciple maker. He said many people will read this passage, first of all, and think this is Jesus' first encounter with these guys. And they're just like, okay, we'll follow you. And it's not. He says it's probably 18 months into his ministry. Other commentators might say it was about a year into his ministry. The gospel of John covers a lot of the time period before this moment. So they they were already, they already knew who Jesus was. They'd already followed Jesus. They'd already seen Jesus. They'd already seen him model some ministry. That's for sure. But on this occasion, Jesus is calling these guys to go deeper. It's not enough to just follow me. You have to help other people follow me. And that call for his disciples to do this, is not a call just for them. It's for us as well. He told them to teach us everything he commanded them. We are to help people follow Jesus. 
We're to be disciple makers, not just followers of Jesus ourselves. This is his plan. You see, Jesus is calling them, but he's also calling you. He's calling you, he's calling us to move from following Jesus to helping others follow Jesus. And it's a call to become a part of the ministry of Jesus because so many Christians never take that step. They never take that step to live out this teaching of Jesus. They, they don't get to that point. They're, they're content with wherever they are. And the fact is, in American Christianity, it is quite easy to develop a consumer mentality where we, we make church services about ourselves. You know, my preferences and what I like and, and was I moved by this message? Was I challenged by that sermon? We even sometimes evaluate it when we're at lunch. What, what did I get out of worship? Did it entertain me good enough that I might come back? That, that's a level of depth many people are at. And look, if you are not a follower of Jesus and you're just coming to see and you're just, that, that's understandable. But when you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus and you have been in the church and that's still where you're at, then you've never even come to the point of understanding Jesus' call to make disciples, to be a follower of Jesus, to go deeper with him. Instead, we're just hoping the program or the class or the preacher or the teacher will make my family and my friends disciples of Jesus. We, we haven't personalized it and thought about the fact maybe I should be doing that. And so instead of the preacher, the teacher, the class or the program making them disciples, here's what we need to understand today. Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting you to make disciples of your family and your friends. He's inviting you to make them disciple makers who make disciples. Jesus wants to take you deeper from following him to becoming fishers of men. He wants to take you deeper from following him to becoming fishers of men. And so Peter, Andrew, James, John, I mean, these guys, they weren't trained, skilled, experienced. Even the religious leaders said they're unschooled, ordinary guys. And yet, by doing what Jesus did, they became disciple makers that changed the world. And over the next several verses, what we see is we see these guys going on these fishing trips, fishing for people trips that Jesus took them on. And they start seeing modeled for them what it looks like to make disciples. And so in verses 21 through 28 of Mark 1, Jesus leads them to Capernaum, which became his ministry base. And from there, uh, he begins to lead them uh, throughout that area and into synagogues where they would find people who were gathered to learn about the Lord and familiar places for them. And, and he took them where people were and he teaches, he, he drove out an evil spirit and Jesus teaches with authority and, and they're seeing this. And then in verses 29 through 31, Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house and she was very sick and he healed her. And they're watching Jesus go to sick people and, and, and Jesus praying to the Father and bringing healing to their life. In verses 32 to 34, it, it says there that, that a whole town gathered at Peter's house to be near Jesus and, and uh, to hear Jesus. And, and he healed many of them and he drives out evil spirits. His kingdom is advancing and they're, they're watching this. They're seeing this. And then we read this in verse 35 of Mark 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you!
And when you just look at the method of Jesus, when you just look at the pathway of Jesus, here's what we realize. Jesus models for us our complete dependence on the power of God and the Spirit. And that if we're going to make disciples, we have to have an abiding prayer life with the Lord. We've got to have extraordinary prayer. We've got to have personal, private prayer and devotion and time with the Lord so we can lean into Him. Why? Two reasons at least. One, not only so that we rely on God's power, that's the only way it can happen. We need God to lead us and rely on His power. But also, when we spend that time in prayer, it helps us focus on our mission. Focus on our priorities. It helps us to focus on what actually matters and what is important. And, and just to show you the example of how as Jesus prayed to the Father, accessing that power, <coughs> Jesus, God in the flesh, <coughs> praying to the Father to access the power. We also see how it helped him to focus on his mission of the Father. And we see it right here in Mark 1, 38 through 39, because as they're saying to Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Everybody has expectations for you. Everybody wants your time and demands this, and you need to do this. This is what we want. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee. He's preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Everybody's demanding his time. Jesus, we need this. We need this from you. We need this. And that's not the mission the Father has for me. And so Jesus says, let's go. He was in tune with God's leading of his life. At a time when many people would say, maybe we should stay here. People, want, people are demanding of our time. People are responding. We should just stay here. Somehow Jesus in that moment knew, no, we need to go. There's more people that need the gospel. There's times when it's not appropriate to stay. How would you know the difference unless you're praying? How would you know what to say yes to or what to say no to unless you're praying? How would you know where to go? And because we often are not praying, because our lives are not characterized by prayer and fasting, we don't know where to go, we don't know when to go, and we're not going. We kind of live these scattered, all-over-the-place lives. And Jesus just demonstrates for us what devoted prayer looks like, how he recentered himself on the Father, and he knew it was time to move on. And when he did, there was a lot to do. Josephus, the historian, tells us that there were over 204 villages in Galilee that were large enough to support a synagogue. So there was a lot of places he could go, and he went to a lot of those places. He moved, and he went to where people needed to hear the good news, and he called those people to follow him, and he invited them into a greater purpose, and multiplication was the vision. He invited them into relationship. He began to create a community of followers, and without delay, they began to follow, and these were very ordinary people, but because they were obedient, they did extraordinary things. And when you look at how Jesus did it, his pathway, his method, you begin to see he just modeled for them the most effective way to learn, to educate, to train, is, is to see it modeled for you. There's an acronym for this. It's called MAWL, M-A-W-L. Not to be confused with MAWL, M-A-U-L. Uh, M-A-U-L you can use in Scrabble. M-A-W-L you cannot. It's not an appropriate Scrabble word. But MAWL's just an acronym. It's just a way to remember how we train, equip, and educate effectively. And it goes like this. M is for model. You do 100% and then they watch. 
They watch you do it. You model for them how to do it. Jesus did this. They're, they're following him, watching him model how to do ministry. Model. A is for assist. You do 50%, they do 50%. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. As disciples begin to do more and more. Even one time when Jesus is coming down the mountain, they're trying to cast out a demon down there. And, and this particular one was very difficult. And Jesus says, well, this one has to be done through prayer. Apparently, not enough prayer going on there. And so Jesus assisted in that and finished the job in that occasion. And other times, you, you watch and they do 100%. And we see this with the disciples in, in Matthew 10, Luke 10. Matthew 10, sending out of the 12. Luke 10, sending out of the 72. Jesus watches, sends them out with instructions. They do it. They did it. Then they come back and report with great excitement to see how the kingdom was advancing and what God was doing through them. And then L is for launch. They, they begin doing mall with others. They, they begin modeling and leading other people. That's, that's what Jesus did as he gave them the great commission. Go and teach others to do this as well. And so Jesus used the model, the mall method. Model, assist, watch, launch. It's what he did. He used that method. In fact, in Luke chapters 4 through 11, we can see this being played out as well. I'm hoping in another sermon to have some time to hit on that as well. This is what the early church, the early disciples, what Jesus did. So you kind of see this pattern where they would, they would enter into new places where there were lost people. And then they would share the gospel, share the good news, disciple those who believed, form them into communities, into churches, then develop leaders within that church and leaders to go out from that church on mission. And they would repeat the process. This is what they did over and over. And if they got persecuted or kicked out, well, then they moved on. And if they didn't get persecuted, sometimes they moved on anyway to go take the gospel like Jesus did to other places that needed it. And that's really the goal that we have as a church family is that, that we could hear and understand and take greater ownership where we realize we are not just followers of Jesus. We must be disciple makers for Jesus. We must help others follow Jesus. And we need to take this personally. You see, our mission here at Northside Christian Church, it is to connect people to Christ and one another by making disciple makers. That's our mission. It's what we do. Our vision is to multiply, not just add like we often do, but multiply self-initiating, reproducing followers of Jesus. And that is our goal, that we would self-initiating, reproducing followers of Jesus. And our strategy is that we would just follow the footsteps of Jesus by going to the lost, going to the broken, and prayerfully engaging in his pathway, what he did. And when you look at his pathway, what he did, what does that look like? Well, here's one way to look at it. We, we, this is called the four fields, and, and this is kind of our drawing of it, but this was introduced to us by Josh Howard from Central New Christian Mission, Brian King, and some others, as just what it looks like. We love this because of all the biblical imagery of, of going into the harvest field, which Jesus prayed that workers would do, and, and that, we would, that the gospel is like seeds being sown into the soil, and then when it sprouts, and making disciples, and producing a harvest and that, it, that multiplies and reproduces. All of that is biblical pictures that Jesus talks about. We just love this imagery. And it helps us just think about what we ought to be doing the things we ought to do as disciples of Jesus. And those things are, first of all, in the top left, that we will enter, we will enter the harvest field. Jesus said, go into the harvest field. He said, the fields are ripe unto harvest. Go there to the lost, to the broken, go to those fields. It's not always come here, come and see, 
It's go there. We will go to the harvest field. And then we will share the gospel. That's the second thing. We will share the gospel. We will plant seeds of the gospel and share it with those who are open to hearing it. We will share the gospel. And when we see the gospel seeds begin to sprout and and take root, we will make disciples. We will make disciples, followers of Jesus, putting them into community with other followers of Jesus. We will form churches. There will be community believers who are being obedient to God's word. And when those churches are formed, we will raise up leaders. Raise up leaders who will go into the harvest field and they will share the gospel and they will make disciples and help form communities of churches who will raise leaders to go into the harvest field. And this is what Jesus laid out for us for the Great Commission. That's how the early church exploded and grew. And that is our heart and our passion. And one of the challenges that I'm just praying for throughout this series for for basically the the rest of this year and, and through our life groups as we even discuss some of these things and and through the trainings we're going to be having coming up this fall, it is my prayer that God would grow you, he would grow you, to where you wouldn't just say, we will do these things, because it's easy when we're in a large community church like this to say, yes, we will do this. And then you personally, like, don't do anything different. We, the church, will do this, and someone will, right? My prayer is that it would just grow in you, And God would stir a fire in you to where you would say, I will enter the harvest field. I will share the gospel. I will make disciples. I will form churches, community of people who gather to grow in God's word together. And I will raise leaders who will enter into the harvest field because I believe in the priesthood of all believers and that Jesus has commanded all of us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is the power of multiplication and it just starts by praying. It starts by praying. It doesn't start by having it all figured out. It starts by praying and asking the Lord of the harvest to send people into the harvest field, asking God to form and grow us to be disciple makers. And then it, it means just doing what Jesus did. Just do what the early church did. And someone once said, you know, if we just do that, frankly, if you just started today, it would cost you zero dollars right now to pray. It would cost you zero dollars to pray, to pray for lost people. It would cost you zero dollars right now to go share the gospel with someone. It wouldn't cost any money to do that. It would cost zero dollars to disciple some new believers, helping them see what Jesus did. It could start, it it, it could cost zero dollars to bring people together in community who are studying and reading and obeying God's word and then sharing it with others. It could cost zero dollars to form a church like that. And it could cost zero dollars to raise up new leaders, but it will cost you your life. It will cost you everything you have. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your emotions. It will cost you everything. It will cost you everything you have. But isn't that what Jesus asked of us? We would give him everything that we have, that we would see that this task of no place left without the gospel, 
where people of every tongue, tribe, and nation are gathered on his throne is realized, and we are in partnership with Jesus to do it. And if we would just do what Jesus did, we could see this realized and happen. And Dan Spader, in his four-chair discipling, he pointed out, you know, Jesus' personal mission was to die on the cross, paying the price for the sins of the world. But his ministry, his ministry mission, calling, was to advance the kingdom by starting a movement of disciple-makers. That's what he did. And that movement would become the church, and it would eventually spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And here's another way to, to hear this. and it'll be on the screen here. I want you to see this. Jesus' mission was not to reach the world but to make disciples who were capable of reaching the world. That was his mission. If he made it his mission to reach the world personally himself, there would have been about 250 million people at that time in the world. He would have had to, it would have lasted for one generation. But instead, he equipped disciples who would make disciples who would be trained to reach the world so that it would continue to happen not just in one generation, but generation after generation. So you have a billion until you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions like we do today of people who are making disciples. This is what Jesus, this is how he laid it out. This was his plan. This was his method. This is the pattern he wants us to follow. Follow. That you would become fishers of men, of people. And he's inviting you to do that. To say, he's inviting us to do that when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And this is drastically different from what many people think it means to have faith. A disciple is more than someone saved by Jesus. A disciple is entrusted with the ministry of Jesus. He's entrusted us to this ministry. And so people who take ownership of that ministry of Jesus, they have a different set of priorities. They have a different set of goals. They have different markers that they pay attention to. Like things that that matter to them that don't matter to other people who call themselves Christians. Josh Howard calls this the kingdom scorecard. Like they keep score different than other people keep score. And this was helpful to me to even think about this. Like, do you remember back when churches had the wooden uh, scoreboard on the wall in the lobby? Do you remember this? The wooden scoreboard in the lobby? And uh, everything was posted there uh, for us to see. And I just grabbed this off the internet. It wasn't like, this wasn't ours, but it could have been. Uh, we had it. It looked pretty similar to that. And, and it was the, how we tracked we, things. It was like the scorecard, you know, like a Sunday morning attendance or Sunday school attendance or offering and last Sunday's attendance, you know, things like that. And then if we were really feeling spiritual, it would have the hymn numbers, right? The hymn numbers for that morning on the board. And I always thought, why do they do that? I mean, it's not like they, they don't come into the service and they're like, turn to hymn number. I mean, we always told them, why does it have to be on the board? And I was like, oh. I don't think they want us to change the hymn numbers. I think that's where we're supposed to You do use those hymn numbers. So anyway, you know, those, those were our scoreboards. Some people say it this way. Churches track the four B's, the four B's. Buildings, budgets, bottoms, how many are in the seats, and if, if you're really spiritual, baptisms, okay, the four B's. Baptisms might be the only thing biblically I see them tracking. They're like 3,000, you know, were added to their number that they, they were baptized in Acts chapter 2. So I think they did track baptisms. But what are the things disciple makers track? Like, what should we be tracking? What numbers would actually lead to making disciples? Because those things are probably different than the four B's. In fact, they are different. 
The business world uses KPI, key performance indicators. We do too. Ours is called kingdom performance indicators. The business world has leading indicators, lagging indicators. Lead indicators directly influence the outcome that you desire, whereas lagging indicators are just the undeniable truth, the outcome, the results, the numbers of what actually happened. In the church, a lot of times we're measuring lag indicators, offering, attendance, buildings, you know, rooms, space, even baptisms. Those things are lag indicators. What are the leading indicators? What are the things that would actually make disciples? Because if we looked at that, we would have a different scorecard. But a lot of people aren't making disciples, so they don't, they don't even think of this scorecard. And then if they learn about it, they're not sure, do I want that to be my scorecard? That would take a little bit of effort. But the lead indicators when it comes to kingdom advancement are very different. It's things like this. How much time did I spend in prayer and fasting this week? I mean, that's what Jesus told us to do. That's what makes disciples. How much time did our church corporately spend in prayer and fasting this week? What's that number? Because that number might actually be the only thing that matters. How many spiritual conversations did I have with someone this week? How many times did I share the gospel this week with someone? That's actually something we've been commanded to do. Do we measure that in our lives or in our church? Like how many total gospel shares were there this week from our church family? I have no clue because we've never tried to track that. How many times did I go with intentionality into the harvest field this week? So that I could be where lost, broken people are. So I could maybe pray for someone or just see if God could use me in that moment to meet a need. How many times did that happen? Instead of just counting how many baptisms we had, maybe a better question, since we're supposed to be commanding and teaching disciple makers to baptize people, is how many baptizers did we have? How many people in our church baptized someone this week? Instead of just tracking the number of disciples, or maybe in this case we could say followers of Jesus that attend our church, what if we actually counted disciple makers in our church, people who are making disciples? How many of those people do we have? We have no clue because we don't track those kinds of things. And yet those are the things that are the lead indicators that create outcomes of people coming to know Jesus and the gospel advancing. But in the church, we don't do that. Why do we not do that? Maybe because we haven't followed the methods of Jesus, the pathways of Jesus. Maybe we're not doing what Jesus did. Or maybe because we're not sure we want to be held accountable to those things because that takes effort. It might mean I actually have to obey it. And I can't just say, that really ministered to me today. Accountability is only good if you desire it. Like if someone's like, you know, visiting with you and they're like, hey, uh, let's talk about this, man. How, 
How many times did, between us, did we, how many hours did we spend in prayer and fasting this week? Or how many opportunities did we have to share the gospel and, and do it, seize it, or try it? And like, if that's not the kind of stuff you want to be doing, you're going to reject it, rebel against it, resent it. You're not going to want any of that kind of conversation. Well, you know, who do you think you are? Right. It doesn't work if someone doesn't desire it. We need to find disciple makers in the future who want to come together with other disciple makers who are willing to have those kinds of conversations. Because then when they have those kinds of conversations, they can pray for each other and encourage each other. And man, I, I tried to share the gospel. Man, it was bad. Like it did, it did not go good. Well, let's just celebrate that you were obedient and tried. Let's celebrate that. We often track things that don't require any involvement from the Holy Spirit. And what we see when we look at the commands of Christ is if we're going to be obedient to this, then we're going to have to have some accountability in our life. We're going to have to measure different things and, and start caring about different things. And I, I just want to share with you a couple of things that could maybe help you begin thinking this way as well, just as, this, as we've been wrestling with this too. We've got two training days coming up, October 9th. October 9th of uh, this year, 2022, from 2.30 to 5.30. So you can put this in your phone. You can write it down. Uh, we're going to be sending you information as well, but I'd like to, for you to mark this down. We're going to do some trainings. Brian King, our friend Brian King is going to come and help us with this. October 9th, 2.30 to 5.30, and November 6th. So October 9th, November 6th, both of those days, 2.30 to 5.30. We're going to do a training on disciple making so we can raise our vision, raise our understanding, gain greater clarity and passion for this. Our sermon series is going to help us with this, just gain greater clarity on this, equip us through this. Life groups and the conversations we have there is going to help with this. But I just want us to take some time right now and just pray for this. Pray for this. And I want you to reflect right now, you know, are you praying and fasting? And are you involved somehow in the process of making disciples? I think that's a good question to ask yourself right now this morning. Are you helping others to follow Jesus? Are you following that pathway of Jesus to enter the harvest field and share the gospel and make disciples and form churches and raise leaders so that they can enter? Is that happening? How many spiritual conversations are you, are you having? How many times did you share the gospel this week? How many times did I go with someone intentionally into the harvest this week? Did I serve someone this week? These are good questions to ask. And we want you to also spend some time in prayer reflecting on what it looks like to be obedient to this, to do this. Corey's going to guide us through three passages of Scripture for this time of prayer. And I want you just to focus in right now. And prayer is where we gain the power of the Spirit. It's also in prayer where we have our ministry focused, priorities are put in place. This is what God wants to do for us right now. And let's just spend some time doing that in reflection right now in prayer as Corey leads us. We acknowledge today that this is not something that we can just do by our own power. We can't just kind of self-motivate ourselves and, and uh, get this done. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. And we uh, open ourselves up to that power when we actually trust his process. When we do like Matthew 9.38 says, and we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, we pray. And we talk about this all the time, that prayer is kingdom work. And I think one of the best 
things that we can do as a church family is to pray the scriptures. And so what I want to do is I'm going to read a short passage of scripture, give you a short guide, and then I want to encourage you to just in this quiet space, pray your own prayer to the Lord, asking for his help to do this. Let's pray together. James 1, 22 to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. In your own words, ask that God would help you to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In your own words, ask that the Lord would help you to shine the light of Jesus that others would see our good deeds and give glory to the Father. Peter 3, verses 14 to 16, Peter says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. In your own words, let's cry out to the Lord that he would make us ready to give the reason for the hope that we have.
Lord, make us ready. Make us prepared. I'm grateful, Lord, for your mercy, your patience with us. So, such great patience with us. I don't feel as though we have intentionally been ignoring you, but I just wonder if maybe we're just a little left of the bullseye here. And you are bringing us to the center. Convict us, challenge us, forgive us, and empower us that we would be disciples who make disciples, every single one of us, to do our part. We need your help, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. As you stand to your feet, let's remember Jesus' words. Come follow me. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And let's make that our prayer today, that we would become fishers of people, that we would go deeper with Jesus to make disciples. We would become disciple makers. And today, if you need to follow Jesus, if you need prayer today to become a disciple maker, we would love to do that. I'm going to be stepping out to decision point here. And those of you who are watching online, you see on the screen there how you can connect to us. We'd love to have that conversation of what that looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple maker. As you leave today, there's boxes in the back of the room. As you give your offering as an act of sacrifice to the Lord, an act of worship to him today. And you can also do that as you see the instructions on the screen. But as we sing in this moment, let this be an opportunity for us to become obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. Let's sing together. Let's lift our voices together. And let's make this the prayer. Make this the prayer of our hearts. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.